Christ, old man. Ouch. <laughs> We're gonna leave that in. So, Jeff, yesterday I went and I got my first pedicure. Wait, like, you sat down and let the ladies do your... Poor guy. Do your feet? Yeah. It was a uh, girlfriend's birthday, and so she got her manicure and such. And I got treated to my first pedicure. And my feet are very slippery now. And how did you like that? Uh, they took off an awful lot. It was kind of gross. I got my calluses done. They gave me a massage, and she was truly an enthusiastic amateur. I don't know what it was she was doing to that foot massage-wise. She had both knuckles, two knuckles, just pushing in both sides of the foot. And I almost had to call uncle, but I made it through. I'm proud of you. Thank you. So, all right, what are we talking about today? Ninety Schmaltz were two dudes who grew up in the 90s. Do a belly flop on the shows we grew up watching from After School Specials, TGI Friday, and Saturday Morning Cartoon. We talk about the nostalgia, bad acting, and why these shows were radical. I'm Jeff. And I'm Ned. And we've been friends for uh, 17 years now, I think, at this point. Seems right. And welcome to our podcast, of course. We did the intro, and we talk about the, the decade of TV that we grew up on. We'll pick a show during these podcasts, and we'll watch about two episodes, and then we're going to talk about them. Before we do the episode talk, we'll probably present some fun facts and miscellaneous uh, things that relate to the television show, and we'll provide our less-than-professional opinions about plot, acting, and anything else that strikes us. Excellent. And I guess our first show will be uh, Exo Squad. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. So our subject today is the show Exo Squad. I had originally intended on this first episode to pick something funny and maybe bad, and I screwed up, and I maybe picked something that's good. Yeah, just maybe. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Exo Squad is a 1994... 93 to 95. All right. Exo Squad is a 1993 cartoon created as, a, and I quote, another robotic boy action property after the success of GoBots. It's uh, essentially a 90s American Gundam. At least an attempt. 52 episodes from 1993 to 1995. Season 1, we got 13 episodes renewed for Season 2, where we got 39 episodes because instead of having separate seasons, it just kept getting renewed. And until, essentially, the network kept putting it in a bad time slot to get rid of it, but we'll talk about that later. The show itself, created and executive produced by Jeff Siegel. He brought us, you know, Fantastic Matt, Super Friends, Challenge of the Gobot. We have executive producer Will, I'm going to butcher the last name, Minye, uh, who gave us Captain Planet and the Planeteers, Real Ghostbusters, Spider-Man Unlimited. I mean, just a ton of amazing things. Uh, so this name will come up a bit. Uh, we also had uh, our director, Graham Morris, Earthwim Jim, Fantastic Four, the animated series, uh, art direction, Kathy Castillo, Captain Planet and the Planeteers, uh, Real Ghostbusters, Space Cats. And then our series music done by Michael Tavera, uh, who also composed uh, music for Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog, Back to the Future, the television uh, series, obviously, Adventures of Super Mario Brothers, um, Super Mario World, and a ton more, which uh, I think we'll probably notice in the first episode. Yeah, good stuff. So this show is a production of Universal Animation Studios. It's a... Uh 
Animation House established in 1990, and it mostly made cartoons spinoffs of Universal movies like Back to the Future, Beethoven. They made those Land Before Times, something called Monster Force, I don't know anything about, an Earthworm Jim cartoon. And uh, close to home for me, they made the ride cartoon for the Spider-Man ride at Universal Studios Orlando, as well as the Dudley Do-Right log flume there. The animation for this show was done by the South Korean animation company Acom. Uh, they are the principal animation house for The Simpsons and have been for pretty much the entire time. I think the entire time it's been a series. They did a couple seasons of that X-Men cartoon and uh, most of the original 11 seasons of the PBS show Arthur. Uh, and while they do some good work, they're also a little bit inconsistent. They were fired from the Batman animated series in season one for quality issues. Some early Simpsons and X-Men cartoons required a lot of rework. They're the the choppy animation when you think about it, yeah. The the uh, yeah, that... a lot of off model. Yeah, uh, like apparently the way they do things is to, and this is allegedly, of course, everything we say is allegedly. Evidently, they would animate different people would be animating different sequential frames. So where they would put the same character would move around because each person was not operating off the work right before them. I, you know what? I think we'll probably see it in, in Exosquad, even in just the two episodes we watch, because, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, size issues, scaling issues. And some wiggling about, yeah, that eight-foot-tall pirate man. Yeah, we'll get to that. Interestingly, because one of the creators mentioned Gundam specifically as an influence, the Gundam animation company Sunrise had some role in the pre-production. It would have been pretty wild to see what would have come out of an actual Sunrise animated mid-90s Western animation series. Which I think we see flashes of in the credit sequence, because it's definitely got a, a nice crisp feel to it. Credits tend to look a little better. Watching Thundercats recently, I noticed that, wow, that intro looks really good. I still have to watch that. The cartoon, not so much. I saw the intro, but I do have to get back to watching the cartoon. We'll get there. I don't know if that goes here, because that's clearly an 80s property. I don't know. I think we still grew up on it, but we, we could talk about that. Well, I don't. our rules are still a little bit flimsy at this point. So the show was released into first-run syndication, which was pretty common for a lot of these toy cartoons. Instead of being shown on the Fox network, it was instead bid on by the independent networks such as USA, TNT, and then individual affiliates of the networks could also bid on it and show it in their own blocks where they would mix in the network block cartoons as well as the things that they had decided to buy. Reruns of this show, when where most people seem to have seen it, is reruns that were on the USA Network, which was owned by Universal at the time. In 1995, USA Network was taken over by Seagram, uh, the drink company, Seagram's Escapes. And it's that's a story I'd like to cover in more depth someday, because it seems pretty wild. You got any tiny bit of detail on that? Long story short is that Seagram decided they wanted to get in the media game. Uh, they were really good at drinks and alcoholic beverages, and so they decided, well, we need to buy... TV networks for some reason, and caused them to collapse and dissolve entirely and be sold off. Because Seagram still exists, but is a Coca-Cola product. Yeah, it's a Coca-Cola product. Though I will admit that's my go-to ginger ale. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, it's got that nice spiciness to it. Uh, it's much better than, uh, God, what's the bad one? Canada Dry? I'm thinking of a, I have a bad opinion of Seagram's, because don't they make the worst gin? That cheap off-label, I'm pretty sure there's like a Dr. Jeremiah's gin out there somewhere or something that's probably worse than Seagram's, but yeah. It's the most available terrible gin, as far as I'm concerned. 
I think it's just grain alcohol with flavoring. <laughs> like a little pine needles mixed in. <laughs> this franchise was definitely created out of, uh, you know, that, that Gundam uh, toy mindset, I would almost say. Uh, and we did get toys uh, made as soon as the show came out, practically, where they were uh, done by Playmate Toys. Uh, obviously, we know Playmate for those, you know, lovely little old school people back in the day and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures, which I believe they still make now. I dug up an old uh, looking around on like eBay and stuff, and we've got a, a JT March figure. Uh, the back of this thing is like the busiest toy that I've ever seen in my life. That's a lot of information. I mean, I guess I own this toy. I own a bunch of Exo Squad toys. They have uh, Welcome to the Future, Can Mankind Be Saved? And we got like general purpose Exo Frame specifications type aerial attack e-frame it's got this awesome toy and you know it actually had like movable parts and it shot missiles and uh it was a great toy i, I remember playing with that thing a, a ton you gotta like those plus shaped missile spring things that it's a plus sign and there's a notch i remember it had a little a little tiny sticker you had to put on it too that it would come in and you would you put it on the faceplate to make it look like it was like busted i like a good sticker there were a lot of little parts. Uh, I I wish I could dig this one up in my basement uh, at my parents' house, but I could not. I went and looked. Uh, and I sold most of the other stuff because, I mean, we were big toy collectors. I, I feel like as we go through this and we're going to talk about things, I'm be like, yeah, I had a toy for that. We were spoiled kids. I was spoiled in other ways. I didn't have a lot of uh, a lot of branded toys. My parents were, as far as toys went, they were the kind of people who shopped at Kmart. And if I got asked for a G.I. Joe, I'd get, you know, Desert Storm Man instead. <laughs> and they were just as good. I mean, it, it, it's your imagination that does most of the work. Now, my mom would collect, like, uh, the Barbies and stuff. So we would go to the toy stores, like, looking to see what they had out. And, uh, you know, you can't take a kid to a toy store and not get him a toy, right? So you lucky, lucky man, you. We would always go to the KB next to the Walmart where I lived. Moving along, this little cartoon series, uh, two daytime Emmy nominated in 1995 for Outstanding Film Sound Mixing and Outstanding uh, Film Sound Editing. Um, and I guess since we're talking about sound and uh, we could talk about the voice cast, we got J.T. Marsh, our main character here, which is Robbie Benson, which most of you should know is The Beast from Disney's The Beast note from the editing department i think jeff means beauty and the beast uh we got gary chalk as marsala our team neo sapien uh optimus primal and then we've got rita torres voiced by jen jansen i think it's janice i guess just with a y janice john uh canadian voice actor that we're definitely going to run into that name a lot more Busy lady. Lots of 90s anime voice actors in this cast, I noticed. There's uh, people doing these original dubs of Ranma and Dragon Ball, DBZ. I think some of them showed up in Gundam Wing, too. This, I mean, this period for voice actors is, I feel like everybody had to know everybody because you only worked with so many people. Yeah, it seems like a small world. So, did you ever watch this one as a kid? So, I had all those toys. I had JT Marsh. And I had Wolf Bronski, and I had Rita Torres, and I believe I had the big green one that Marsala and I believe Nara are in that one. I might be wrong on this one, but I think I had that too, that big honking thing. 
but I don't remember really watching the show at all. It could have been tough. Who knows where it was showing? If you didn't have the right cable and you didn't have the right affiliate, pass you right by. Yeah, but I mean, those toys were definitely captivating enough that at least I remember that part. You did the part that the creators probably cared more about. Uh, you bought the toy. So. Yeah, probably. We found just digging around on eBay. We find the back of the first VHS. What was the name of this episode? The Pirate Scourge, right? Yes. Yes. And uh, so the year is 2119. On the home worlds of Earth, Venus, and Mars, genetically engineered super beings called Neo Sapiens have revolted, enslaving their human creators. Now, only the daring resistance fighters of the Exo Squad and their awesome robotic arsenal can save the solar system from the Neo Sapien reign of terror. Far from Earth, the Exosquad is ordered into combat with the dreaded Tephasian Pirater of Saturn. As heroic Exosquad Commander J.T. Marsh and his crew pursue the pirates into the treacherous asteroid belt, the defense systems of his ship become useless. Now it's up to the Exosquad to fend off the vicious pirates using only the robotic E-frame vehicle. You know, I tried to be a dreaded Tethesian Pirater, but I didn't have the GPA for it. That's called a joke. But you know what? Jonas Simbaka, our main pirate, our commander pirate, he's a he's a he's a fellow. Uh, I think you'd need to impress him if you were to become a pirate. He's an old lion man. He definitely looks like old lion Yes, an impressive amount of hair around with that some face. really weird, um, like Scottish mixed with Southern Eastern European. Uh, accent it it's it's an interesting mix of choices he's doing something but i'm not even sure he knows what he what exactly he's doing no because words change all the time but it's pretty fantastic i mean maybe he's just playing a man who likes to pretend to have an accent (laughs) (laughs) as you said when we first talked about it he's got that spacer accent yeah that's what outer space sounds like that's what people in space talk yeah yeah, episode one, the pirate scourge. I mean, we can to to save you guys time if you anybody actually listens to this and wants to watch it. We watched ours on Peacock. Um, I believe you can also find it on. I think it's on. Yeah, it's at the bottom here. It's on Amazon Prime and Apple TV for money. It seems. And then streaming on Peacock. I can guarantee that it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, but Apple TV, I wasn't able to figure out because it wanted me to install iTunes, and I will not do that. Yeah, it's kind of that's a, what year is it? But I guess a bunch of Apple users would tell us we're wrong anyway. I think Wikipedia may be a little out of date on this, but it does say that the first season is available on the Zune Marketplace, so you can also try there. <laughs> All uh, right, season, season one, one, episode, episode one. one, Pirate Scourge. Uh, in parentheses, Fall of the Human Empire one. Uh, and that's uh, after Exosquad comes to the rescue of a freighter being attacked by Tethesian pirates. The General Assembly commissions Exosquad to eliminate the Tethesian pirate menace once and for all. You can imagine how that turns out when they send their fleet to fight pirates away from the homeworld. I'm sure it goes fine. Right? Everything we've read in description-wise definitely mentions pirates, so... Oh yeah, just pirates, except for the beginning part where the uh, you know they're in, the Neo Sapiens enslave the uh, their human creators. Almost all the descriptions barely mention the pirates because, uh, as it turns out, they are not the main antagonist of this series. 
and we we start i mean the the beginning of this episode uh takes us in it does the exo squad intro and we get our music and they tell us all about what exo squad is and the e-frame and we get a whole backstory about how originally the humans bred the neo sapiens to help them colonize mars and 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 venus do all the manual labor and then they revolt uh and they're beaten back now it's 50 years later and we have pirates to deal with so i think it's pretty interesting that this opens with just a title and no opening intro or any of any sort no none of the, the openings we see in the later episodes it just cold opens on a uh, newscast describing the background of the setting oh yeah I, I, where they just tell you exactly 50 years ago essentially the neo sapiens you know were bred and created to help colonize and terraform and then they up you know had an uprising that was squashed and now we're 50 years down the line and we're fighting pirates and so we open up with the newscast from our very good friend charles mckenna i I love this opening where he does it that we get the whole thing he's telling us exactly what happened and then he says this is charles mckenna this is charles mckenna and then the spacer that we see says exactly the same thing this is charles mckenna this is Charles McKenna. And the funny thing is I literally, I've said that to you multiple times that we, when we watched this, I was like, I said that a split second before this other guy said it. This is Charles McKenna. They do a good job of making us hate this guy, uh, Charles McKenna, right off the bat. They do a great job with that. And then we get a little bit of uh, uh, a transportation techno babble where he's, you know, telling, calling it in that he's on his way and, uh, that they are going to have a couple days by themselves out there with our guy uh, checking out some exotic dancers on uh, on on hollow deck. And that hollow stripper, we noticed, is playing the Mario Underworld theme, or at least an arrangement of it. that I'm pretty confident comes from the Captain N cartoon. And that makes sense because the same guy did the music for both of these. Now, here's the thing. It's like, did he use it or did they, someone else put it in because it's his composition. So they just had it in the tank and they were able to throw it in there. Who knows? But uh, bad luck for them. The Mario Underworld theme is uh, incredibly iconic and easily recognizable. I wonder if it was as recognizable back then. Maybe it was just a nod if it was. I'm certain not, because if if you watched the Mario Brothers Super Show, you'd be forgiven for not realizing that you're looking at, you know, the new Mickey Mouse, because that show is a hot mess. That show is a hot mess. I love it, but it's uh, it's an absolute bizarre, uneven New York accents. Mario! <laughs> I guess the New York accent is better than having the, uh, like, a thick fake Italian one. Yeah. So they realize they're in trouble. I don't even think we even see the pirates at this point. We don't. They just throw out their mayday. Um, they get uh, they they get shot. A little explosion, uh, and then like a, a grab a grappling hook. No, like a, a a space hook grabs them. And then we cut to our uh, main characters on Mars. They're making an unauthorized visit to Olympus Mons, which is apparently where the last war ended. They're doing a pretty good job of cramming in a lot of uh, backstory information pretty quickly. 
Yeah, they get a lot of stuff in here, though they do show up on top of this gigantic plateau, which they do say is a giant, the tallest plateau, but, you know, they have this, a lot of spiky mountainous areas, and I, I mean, I actually don't know anything about Olympus Mons, I just thought it was a giant, tall, flat thing, but I may be wrong. I did not think to look it up. That's fair. So they go, they go visit Olympus Mons, and I, I, it's not entirely clear why, uh, why they're there, or why they shouldn't be there. And they are interrupted by a couple of armed patrols of Neo Sapiens, and they say it's time to head back to base. <laughs> Did you see this Neo Sapiens when they show up? Um, no. Uh, they start driving, they start shooting, and if if you go back and play it, you can see that the the characters they have drawn into the things all have their arms out like they were Dark Souls, worship the sun. That every single tank looks like that. <laughs> That's great. So we next go, we get a nice loving shot of a big space carrier with the text underneath saying the Exo Carrier Resolute. And that's where we are introduced to the Admiral and uh, the other guy whose name I don't remember. Uh, I didn't write the other guy's name down. Captain something or other. Yeah, he seems like a jerk anyway, so we'll, we'll skip over him. If you look as we get into the shot, they're reviewing the tape, like the Mayday tape from the ship that's being attacked by the pirates and you can see the guy who had the the hollow stripper essentially he's standing next to the door with like a pipe in his hand like he's going to swing at these pirates and we wonder you know why they they got friggin' attacked in the first place that's all they got is pipe and a hollow and, stripper and then the door blows up and he just falls backwards and then they shoot the communication but admiral winfield's pretty cool the captain is getting mad at Exo Squad for their unauthorized visit. And Admiral Winfield says, no, I told him to do that. And he says, don't do that again. I'm not covering for you again. But before we even move on, too, they're all standing there, right? They're they're talking about how they're going to do this rescue mission. But the cheekbones on these, all of these characters. Cutting glass. Just every single one of them, they're all chiseled. Even some of the women on here are a little chiseled. Yeah, I got a lot of things to say about the character design. That they all kind of look the same. <laughs> and the 90s uh, superheroes in general. <laughs> That's not the most dramatic feature on most of these people. The design in the show is very... Uh, you'd be forgiven for thinking that you're watching a strange episode of the X-Men. Because it absolutely looks like a 90s Marvel buffet. I don't know what you'd call the headpiece. It's what Gambit wears and Jean Grey in the 90s. It's like a hat, but you cut off so your hair can come through it. And then it wraps around and it connects to your shoulders. It's a cowl, right? It's Batman's cowl, except he wanted his, his hair, to sh his mullet to shoot through it. That's what it is. And I don't know what you'd call that, but uh, the 90s loved that. And this show loves that. Because four of these people got some sort of mullet cowl. The girl's got a ponytail port. Takagi has his back mullet comes out underneath. So they must have a space for that. I'm a little confused as to the, the physics of of exactly how these costumes work. But some dramatic hair on these these beautiful babies. Well, we had uh, Kathy Castillo as our art director. And I mean, I feel like she worked during that time period on a lot of a lot of things. She's got 53 credits going all the way back to, to 1990. Real Ghostbusters. Captain Planet had a mullet, too. Uh, Captain Planet, yeah, he had a. I some of this makes me think of Captain Planet. 
uh, Space Cats, Exo Squad, the What's New Scooby Doo. Those are all art direction. But uh, uh, we go actually we go back to 1971 uh, for some of the stuff that she worked on as an artist. So, I mean, she was definitely highly influenced by a lot of the rest of the stuff happening at the time. Yeah, she was stuck with mullets forever. Maybe she has a mullet. I like a good mullet. Gets a bad rap, but... I mean, in real life, it's a terrible hair choice. <laughs> but in animation, or, or it's just great. It's, like, perfect. It's dramatic. It, it's, uh... You can have a lot of fun with it. And also, then it can cynically, maybe, uh... You can kind of mess up, because you can have long hair on a person and short hair. And if it's a little bit wrong from frame to frame, no one will really notice, because no one's really sure the physics of their own hair anyway. Yeah, and it, yeah, I mean, it's a mullet, so God knows. And then my personal theory is that uh, space radiation has ruined everyone's hair, and they're all just wearing hair hats. Hair hats. Space toupees. But they're tactical, so they've got the, the cowl to go with it. Maybe. Maybe. So now we go on to meet our squad. We uh, do. We kind of get like a, a very brief personality introduction from everybody. Yeah, we get some small character moments. Who's our first? Alex, right? Yeah. Alex. Where our, our rookie Takagi is like, yeah, look at those moves. And then we got our, lo- our, our fantastic Wolf Bronski over here. Wow, check those moves, Bronski. Big deal. Some guys need to practice. Very well animated burps coming out of this man. And some uh, impressive voice work with the amount of groaning and gurgling that he's doing throughout this scene. Uh, it's really disgusting. It's like the predecessor to uh, Rick from Rick and Morty. <laughs> it kind of is. Just in this scene, though. He's he's never quite burping and gurgling this much any other time in the series that I've seen. So Kaz Takagi's a new guy. That's all we know about him. Yeah, that's literally all we know about him, the rookie. Alex a smart guy. He seems like a smart tech guy. And then we get uh, Maggie who comes in. It is Maggie, yeah. Our... And she's like, I've got, the, I've got a big technology thing. Uh, she asks for a hand, and then they, you know, <laughs> clap for her. That's that's funny. That's a funny joke. <laughs> uh, and then we get uh, Marsalu who comes in and just grabs it for her. Because he's a giant Neo-Sapien man. And he's on their side. But you can sense some of the tension there. Some of the racial tension. And then we meet the sergeant, Rita Torres, as she tells everyone to get it together, get in line. And then JT comes in to do the... to give a briefing. And then Wolf Bronski has to suck in his gut. Oh, yeah, and he's making right. and he's making just some horrible noises in this gut sucking scene that I love. But man, it's, it sounds like he's dying. It, I mean that, and then he uh, JT tells him to to be at ease, and he just lets that gut like come falling out, and he gets a nice audible and animated burp. Well animated, it's it, a it lot is. of frames in that one. Thank you, Sergeant. <laughs> Stand easy, troopers. Thanks, JT. And so what they're going to do is they're going to go try to rescue the freighter, see if there's anything left to do there, run the rescue mission. And they're going to go in without their cool E-frames that we've barely, we don't even have, I don't think they've even been discussed yet. They have not, no. But they do have a really cool, like, E-frame-esque spacecraft with, like, arms and stuff. Sea urchin. It's like an underwater sub research sub that they would send down with like the arms and stuff, and having like uh, fans or jets to to 
change direction and stuff like that. Yeah. Makes sense. Space is just the ocean upstairs. Bronski on point while Weston pops the hatch. And Takagi cleans up, which isn't true in, um, you know, like 45 seconds. And as they're opening the door, we get our lovely uh, Wolf Bronski. Ah, yes. It's, I hope there's nothing nasty behind this door. And then he says, Ain't nothing nastier than Wolf Bronski. I believe it. And I also have no doubt. Because he belches after he says his that. <laughs> God, can you imagine burping in a space helmet? That's probably the worst. Uh, like an alcoholic burp. You got to sit in that for the next 40 minutes Ugh. while you do your mission. Hopefully you didn't eat anything terrible that you pass gas from the other end either. And it's just wafting in your suit the whole time with no real, right? Because it's just air recirculation at that point. There's nothing else. Yeah, bad time. So they split up to, to check out the, the freighter. Uh, they send some down to check out the cargo bays. And most of them go up to the bridge to see what they can do. And as they enter the bridge, we get a, another small cameo from the hollow stripper oh we do that's right it flies by with the music playing uh every time it shows up on screen the music plays and i love it and then they send takagi in to check the body which is he sweating in the scene or is it just the way it's animated with the light i think he's uh nervous having a bad time because he's a new guy and that's the only scene in the whole thing where they do that thing so it looks really out of place at this point where they have these like weird sweat things. But so they send him in to check the body to see, you know, if the body's still alive. And it's Marsala over JT's shoulder on the other side of the room that says, he didn't make it, Captain. We're getting Sakagi's over here. Poor rookie. He's get, taking a pulse, trying to do his job, trying to make a good uh, effort and let the captain know that he's, he's worth keeping around. And Marsala's like, fuck this guy. He's dead, Captain. Thanks, Jim. Too bad. Oh, Jim, it's not Jim. I ruined that joke. Oh, you mean uh, Spock? Uh, what's his name? Dwight? <laughs> what are we talking about? I don't know what reference you're making. <laughs> I'm making a Star Trek reference. Okay. That's how I figured, but then I... But it's not Spock, it's the Doctor. Bones? That's it. Wow. I'm sorry, uh, nerddom. Oh, you're that. fine. I forgive you. So Takagi goes and uh, he sees something move out of the corner of his eye and he goes to check it out. And unfortunately, the uh, pirates have left a booby trap with some live human bait on it because as soon as he goes to help the guy, it uncovers... It does... It's something scientific, right? I think it's overloading the fusion engines. Something like it's, that. It's not terribly important what it's doing. But either way, they've got a minute now. It, and it's like the most powerful thing, explosive I've ever seen. It's like, it's going to explode in 60 seconds or 59 seconds or whatever. And then... Things start blowing up before we even get to 40 seconds. And it seems like maybe this explosion might be uh, better than any actual weapon uh, that we see in the rest of the series. Maybe they should just be blowing up freighters. Yeah, maybe. Though we did, we do cut to commercial before they have to escape from the ship, which, you know, has that lovely, uh, uh, we'll be right back. Exo Squad will be back in a moment. Now back to Exo Squad. Yeah, my one positive thing that I will say about Peacock is that they have maintained the commercial bumpers on every show I've watched on it, and they're phenomenal. I love them. They, you know, they do a good job with the content itself because they they have scaled this correctly where it doesn't look like crap. But their player for Peacock is just garbage. 
you go to pause something and forget the whole bottom screen, Exo Squad, Season 1, Episode 1, Pirate Scourge, the play button and everything, it just gets in the way of everything. So if you don't have the screen size correctly, it literally is blocking almost half of what you're looking at. So I tried to do screenshots for our notes, and I had to actually find YouTube videos instead. Very sad. So they get out, right? Uh, we get back to them running out of the ship now that the commercial break is over. Um, and communication is down, apparently. Whatever this explosive device is, it's, it's jamming communication. The radiation is causing trouble with communications. So they, they, they escape on the ship and they get out, but there was a worker crew coming in to do a cleanup. And they can't contact this worker crew, so they're, they, they, they whiz by the bow to try to get it to turn around. And it turns around and, you know, they try to escape, but the workers don't make it because, as you said previously, this explosion is just, like, ridiculous. This tiny little device created this massive explosion. I'm not really sure why we aren't using this in general warfare. And we do get the Mario theme one more time before it blows up. Yeah, we get to we get to see what happened to the hollow stripper, <laughs> uh, which I appreciate. Which is vaporized. Yeah, very sad. And once they get back to the ship, uh, we get a JT Marsh that is very sad. Um, it's because uh, importantly, the work crew the work crew shuttle doesn't make it. Yes, they follow them back, but they get hit in the the wash of the explosion, and that's it. They are vaporized as well. Sad day. JT sad, and then we cut to the Galactic Senate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, the like United Planets or something. I just call it the Space UN. But it is called. They're in Earth orbit, and it's the General Assembly of the Home Worlds Space Station. And we cut to essentially the the Senate, and they're talking about the Pirate Scourge and what they should do to deal with it. We get some back and forth. Where some people want to go to war, some people go, don't you remember what war is like? And they don't want to go to war. And then we have a the only Neo-Sapien on the, this Senate or Council or whatever we're calling it. Um, who, what would you call this? An impassioned speech to go to war? Yeah, he's, uh, he's he, he says uh, war is bad, but we should do it anyway. Uh, in better words than that. And it's then a good speech. When yeah. they all agree with him. Uh, and this is our our phaeton, our big bad of the show. Although we haven't seen him do anything bad as of the end of this episode, but we know because of the toys that he is the bad guy. Sorry about the spoilers for this '90s television show. And uh, I, would, I will say that I think the Space UN needs to invest in some microphones because everyone is just yelling trying to to make them sound like they're i guess like giving a speech they're all just kind of yelling but it's literally animated that way too where it just looks like they're yelling at each other um we cannot let it continue it is time to crush the pirate menace once and for all wait has anyone forgotten what war is like it's a weird design in the room too, because there seems to be like a, a podium flat piece at the front, and then like a big, um, like auditorium section. It's it, this this animation itself in this space station is done very poorly. There is it's kind of the worst part of the episode where there's a lot of jitteriness in the movements. I think they were it gave them a break. This was a break period. They didn't have to film people, you know, flying around space. Or it's like a, it's a one-off, so they, they don't have the models. 
Yeah, this is this could be it too. They may not have the the test footage to work off of. Because Phaeton looks fine, even his smirk is actually done. But like when you're cutting to the other people, it's a lot rougher. Yeah, but they, they've got all got cool space undercuts. A lot of dramatic hairstyles throughout this series, even for the people that don't have their tactical cowls. Well, it's twenty one nineteen. Of course, they gotta have cool hair. Um, we do get some foreshadowing after the scene because now we get to cut to uh, Nara Burns. Um, in her quarters with her bunny rabbit, um, talking to her parents on their farm. Well done. Very well done, actually. Very cute. During this scene where she talks and writes the letter, we, we watch the fleet um, get ready to leave and fly away and stuff like that. It's a it's a very good transition to the next part. And so next we get a nice lunch scene, which opens in the way that is my, one of my favorite scene openings possible, which is Wolf Bronski telling it, that's my wife, Joe. So, so I says, no, that was my wife! <laughs> and everyone laughs. Except for our female compatriots, who I believe the one sitting here is uh, Maggie. Maggie's sitting, and she just shakes her, her head at them. Uh, poor Marsala, too, our, our Neo-Sapien, has no idea what the hell's happening. He does not understand the concept of humor. So he asks him, is this what you would call a joke? And he says, yes, it is. And that's, I don't know what else to say about it other than that. <laughs> we, Charles McKenna shows back up, too. Lunch is interrupted by a hovering camera. It's good to see that people still don't like the media in 2119. See that nothing changes. In 1993, they didn't realize how wild it was going to get. <laughs> they sure did. And Charles McKenna is there to, uh, he's going to tell their side of the story or whatever. Uh, he takes a very hostile tack. He does come in real hostile, but I really like the fact that J.T. Marsh is like, who are you? And this yeah. guy's like, freaking Charles McKenna. <laughs> this is Charles McKenna. My my friends call me Charles, right? And then uh, J.T. calls him, okay, McKenna. <laughs> so Charles McKenna is there, and he says, I heard it's your fault. The, it was one of your rookie pilots Chicago, made yeah. a mistake. Yeah. And uh, and then Marsh is like, if you got anything to say to them, you can say it to me. Because he, he did the best he could, performed well. I mean, for this first episode, we're, we're all behind JT at this point. Uh, we, we believe in him. We'll follow him to the end of the, the, the solar system. And we know what really happened. They leave the room, leaving Charles McKenna behind. They don't want to talk to him. And then we get our fun action sequence. Yeah, our major ac- action sequence at the, the end. The payoff for all this talking. We've been sitting through. Yeah, because, I mean, there was a lot of talking. This is a lot of buildup in this. But it is a two-parter, to be fair. The exocarrier is moving out. Uh, This could be because of my inability to pay attention in the general sense. But I'm not really sure exactly where they're going. But they're trying to find some pirates. I I know this much. And as they're going through an asteroid field, we switch over to the pirates' point of view. And they're... Our age Lionel. They begin the attack. Yes, Simbaka begins the attack. Which is they put rockets on asteroids or potatoes? They look like potatoes. or potatoes. I'm I don't know. I've never been to the asteroid belt, so they could all be potatoes. They could. I guess I've never been there either. So the jury's still out on asteroids. And the people driving this ship are so shocked by this. They're like, "Oh, it's a rogue <laughs> asteroid coming at us! Oh, it's two now! No, it's three! Took you three times to figure out that you know this is probably not how asteroids work." 
when they get out of the way and then uh and then the asteroids start following them and then they finally now they realize that something's up oh that's right they do they 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 miss and then they change directions it's like very very peculiar asteroids and um admiral winfield he's very stern when he yells at his uh pilot he's like those aren't asteroids marcus <laughs> and then marcus doesn't want to send out the the e-frames but winfield overrides him and tells him absolutely you're sending them out and so we get uh, the first shot of our squad suiting up and they all fly out into space to start blasting some pirates things look pretty bad it's uh it's not a very long action sequence once they get out there it's not but i mean to be fair out of all these this is actually a pretty well done action sequence for the time period yeah um there's a lot of things happening in the same frame as each other instead of like frame to frame um a lot of laser beams a, a lot of movement um i don't we don't really get to see this for all the whole series it's kind of as things move along it uh it gets a little less exciting <laughs> There's good laser effects. There's a nice guy shoots a missile and it follows a, a ship and they kind of do a loop to loop to get out of the way. So there's like a nice missile trail shot, which you'd like to see in these kind of mecha cartoons. Yep. Uh, the laser sound is interesting. It sounds, do you ever have one of those microphone toys with the spring inside that you would like whack and it would, it would make a particular sound. If you didn't, it's the sound of this laser. Yeah. I don't know that sound. That's like, you're talking about like the weird dollar store, like uh plastic microphone. I, I mean, I've, I've played with one, but I don't remember it at all. I, I don't even think I was gifted one. Well, you Probably don't need to worry about house. it. Just listen to this action scene and imagine every time someone shoots a laser, you're hitting a microphone on your knee. Uh, fair enough. Oh yeah. Wolf Bronski. And then he gets shot. Yeah. He gets in trouble. He, he gets someone, uh, takes out a target and then he gets hit in the back and then he starts freaking out. He's like, where is everyone? And he's losing it. And then that's where the episode ends. He's not terribly as tough as he originally, uh, puts himself out there to be. And he sweats profusely. Yeah. Well, he's, he is probably, he is a drunk. So, and then we cut to the, you know, like next time on exo squad. And that's where we get that end reel of like, just, the detail, the it's so good. Like anybody who doesn't really want to watch the shows, you should just YouTube and find the end reel because the animation is so good for the '90s at the time. You can definitely tell that it was an anime studio. And um, it's interesting. It's, it's not next time on Exo Squad. It is coming on Exo Squad. And what was interesting about that segment too is that there was no sound effects and no description of what was coming. No. It was just a series of disconnected shots about things that would happen later in Exo Squad, evidently. <laughs> evidently. All right, so we're talking about season two, episode five. Yeah, we're moving on to season two, episode five, Expendable. This season was, I mean, this episode aired in 1994. So we just go straight into the episode. I believe we open, uh, we get the intro this time. We get a the theme song and the visuals of the exo squad opening before we jump into that we do have the um um the actual like write-up for the episode uh yeah torres is put in the brig for attacking jubail who agrees to drop the charges as repayment of his debt to marsh um which it was written who spared his life in the embassy uh 
Baka. I assume that's an episode. Yeah. Learns that the GRAF shield is inoperative and is discovered by Jubail as he tells uh, um, Typhonus. Typhonus. Oh, that's Typhonus? right. Uh, the uh, the general. The, the yeah. yeah. In the struggle that ensues, uh, Barca kills Jubail and tells the guards that arrived that Jubail was the spy. Tifanis orders an attack on unprotected uh, Io, and the Exo fleet abandons the base. When Typhus pursues them, a pirate fleet from Chaos decloaks on the Neo's flank and starts to do damage to the Neo fleet. The Neo fleet, uh, with the Neo Sapien fleet, returns to Mars where Typhus is uh, executed for his incompetence. So this is definitely, like I pulled this right up, I think I pulled it off of IMDB, but this is literally has to have been a fan-made uh, write-up. Because one, I'm pretty sure the guy's name is Baca and not Barca because they say Baca all the time. And Jubail is not dead. He's in prison. But we'll get to that as we go through the episode. But yeah, so we open up and we have an actual Exo Squad intro, as you were saying previously. Yeah, so we open up with a legitimate theme sequence of Exo Squad with the music and the visuals we get to see a... Uh name cards for each of the main characters including some we have not met yet good sounds good it does tonight it's a good intro the music i i dig the music too because it's one of those it this is almost like uh it sort of feels like the batman theme the animated series intro that's what it feels like yeah the music is solid throughout i think even the the incidental scene music is none of it's bad no definitely not well done mike well done we start with torres having a dream about we see it happen, and then we get the context later. Can we talk about this? Uh, this the title card here, where they transition in through the asteroid belt. Yes, yeah, so I apologize. Uh, I was pulling it up to see what you're talking about. What were you saying? Tell me again. <laughs> uh, the the opening title right after our introduction, we get our our music going into you know executive producer Will Minye, and then the um, Expendables. But it's so shaky. Like, it looks like somebody... As it pans. Yeah, as it pans through. It's like somebody is shaking the picture every time that the picture is taken for the animation. That's so strange. It's when it's moving diagonally. It's a very uncomfortable shot, and I'm very disappointed. Because when they get to where it's just panning straight across, it's fine. And they're just moving the asteroids. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for the digression. We'll just move back into Torres' uh, PTSD dream. 
Yeah, so Torres is having a PTSD dream where it looks like she's with a the squad. They all kind of get blown up, and she ends up laying down on an asteroid, and a giant man. A gigantic, like literally the same size as the EXO unit itself. He must be 12 feet tall based on the size of the suit that he's standing over. Uh, comes over and says... She expects him to kill him. Um, and instead of him killing her, she says, why would I... He says, why would I kill you when, you know, I can watch you slowly stop breathing? And he pokes the hole... Like, he bangs a crack into her, uh, mat, her like, the glass. And she slowly, basically suffocates as he wanders away. It's dark as hell. I mean, no wonder she fucking has a PTSD from this. And then she wakes up. She looks at a picture of her old squad. And then we cut to the pirates in the mess hall. It's always the mess hall. Something ridiculous always seems to be happening in a mess hall over lunch. They like to show people eating and gathered around a table, even if they aren't eating. Which I do appreciate. I always love shows that like actually show normal everyday things. It shows like extra effort in the writing. They should show more people in the toilet, I think. Well, maybe not the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so we, in the mess hall, the pirates are talking a big game. Jubail specifically is uh, just being a real jerk, talking about how much she likes blowing up E-frames and how much she loves killing his people who were his enemies and are now his allies. And then I uncloaked right on his tail. He never knew what hit him. <laughs> There's a lot of general killing talk where nobody really cares that much. We learn, because I guess we're since we're flashing into this, now we, we find out that there has been an alliance made with the pirates. Yes. Against the Neo-Sapien fleet who are the actual bad guys of this series. Yes. Uh, as we've as we alluded to but had not seen in that first episode. Marshes to show around Jubail, uh give him a nice tour of this carrier. They come over to where Torres is working on her E-frame. Jubail says he'd like to see an E-frame demonstration because he'd like to see one that he hasn't already destroyed because he's really good at reading the room. I'm glad your sergeant is cooperative. I've always wanted a good look at an Exofleet E-frame. <laughs> a working one, that is. I've only seen them after I was through with them. <laughs> he says that right after Torres says, I hate pirates. She's like, I'll never show anything to a pirate. They're our enemies. And then he decides to be a jerk about it. And then she agrees to give the demonstration and demonstrates the power of the suit by punching him in the back and trying to stomp on him. And you can see the anger in this woman at this point. But she uses a robotic arm to punch the man and doesn't do anything to him. That's wild. I mean, it did make him five feet tall instead of 12 feet. So It did, because you know what? In the scene <laughs> right before she punches him, he again is like just the way that the the two pieces are lining up. He does look like tall again. They're just not sure how to draw. Yeah. The height difference is giving the animators a little bit of trouble. And then we, you know, she says this is for Valentine, which must've been one of her squad mates. Um, and this literally JT just pulls some sort of battery pack off the back of this thing. And the unit is completely inoperable. So I'm really hoping that none of the Neo sapiens know about this. Uh, Jubail demands that she be arrested, as which is reasonable. <laughs> a little reasonable. Uh, 
I'm I'm not gonna hold that against him. Uh, I think I think maybe there might have been some fighting words involved that he may bear some responsibility for. But I do think it should be illegal to punch people with robots. Yeah, I think so. Uh, even in the future, I think I agree with that. And I mean, she might need better training if she couldn't, you know, knock him out the first time, though. So she gets uh, arrested, remanded to quarters, and there Marsh comes to talk to her. And she tells the story that the dream she had, the dream we saw, is what happened. Is that her first squadron was destroyed by Jubail specifically, and she was left to die. Can we talk about why she's telling this story and walking around, too? She has, like, these really weird, like, thigh flaps on her uniform. She's got, like, riding pants. It, they do look like riding plant pants, yeah. Yeah, like like a safari. Uh, they're, those are jodhpurs, I believe. But they, she had to be out of the rest of her uniform, so I guess they had to figure out how to make it look, you know, extravagant with her. Obviously, she still has the headband on, so you might be right. I mean, that might just be her hat. What do they look like under there? Yeah, those are definitely some riding pants. Uh, I noticed in an earlier scene with her specifically that she has, like, an arm knife. I don't think I caught that. A lot of scenes, she's she's pointing and saluting with this arm knife, and I'm like, whoa, you gotta watch out for that. You're gonna... <laughs> That's incredibly dangerous. In this scene specifically, though, there's a really weird, odd match to the um, the animation. They go and they look out the the like that portcullis window or whatever that would be called, and uh, she goes and looks, and then like half a second later, her uh, reflection shows up. Oh yeah, she she's coming in from the other way. Yeah, it's it's really really weird. That's that's not a window <laughs> reflection. That's a ghost. <laughs> I originally I would be like, that's clearly not an actual window, right? It's just like a video camera because everything's reversed or whatever it is, and it's delayed. But then they cut to a shot where they're both looking like you were looking at them from outside well it's they tried i guess i don't i feel like they they didn't try in that scene but yeah after right she tells her story and jt's like i've got your back don't you worry about it we, we'll we'll figure this out is essentially what he says and then we get to some more po- politic talk in the next scene uh between jt and the admiral uh jt tries to figure out how to get um rita torres our you know sergeant out of trouble and the admiral's like i can't help you just not gonna work that way and then he does come up with an idea uh where he's gonna figure out how to persuade jubail to to say he'll let her go yeah because if jubail doesn't want to prosecute you must avail if jubail and i think honestly the animation here is a little rough too it's one of those choppy moments where like they're walking around and everything like you know it feels like you're missing cells but the audio work is very good here, especially the voice actors. It's funny for such a such a kind of long-winded story at times, or where like you know we get too much detail, or we don't get enough detail. I think uh, they really do deliver on these lines to make things a little bit more believable. Yeah, it sounds good. Good voice, good acting, good writing. Yes, yes, and generally we um, from there though we move over to the the Neo Sapien fleet. Yeah, this is my favorite scene. It's uh... a. <laughs> It's some sort of alien oatmeal party. They're all just sitting around eating some sort of gross slop. What are they talking about? Is he, he's talking about his spy, right? He is talking about his spy. Like They're just casually eating, right? And then all of a sudden, he like slams his food or whatever. Of course. That's it. And the, the, the cut of where they go to like the four people he's eating with is hilarious. None of this animation matches the scene at all. They're just like slack-jawed. When he does it, like, how could he possibly not want to eat what's in front of him? They are shocked. 
Does he not want his delicious slop? That's what it makes me think of more than anything. <laughs> They're either shocked or very excited to hear his idea. They're either supportive or deep oatmeal lovers. One of the two. We do then cut to the, the spy, right? Uh, I have to play this to find that. We have the spy, whose voice is awesome, by the way. He's got that snaky little weird voice that I think is probably a little offensive to um, our uh, neighbors to the south. I take my orders from Phaeton. Some of these pirates are definitely a little Hispanic looking. But most of the accents don't match that, which is the funniest thing. They all have like a different accent. But I guess that, you know, they're fractured pirates coming together under Simbaka. So maybe because they do all have different skulls on their uniform. I did not notice that. I I don't actually think that was done on purpose. I think that was just animation where we talked about the studio and how, you know, sometimes different people worked on the same scene. So then we get it. So he's talking to Typhonus and Typhonus tells him to go figure out uh, what the weakness is. He's looking for something. He's like, whatever you got, you know, break something. Let me know when I can attack. Well, he doesn't even say attack. He's like, I will exterminate them. A lot of animosity. So we know what he wants, and then we go to our commercial break with those lovely bumpers. Exo Squad will be back in a moment. Yes, love the commercial breaks here. They just make me think of Saturday morning cartoons every single time I see them. Um, after the commercial, where do we go to the... Yeah, it's their pirate club meeting. That's it, yeah. I'll, I'll go with pirate club meeting. And they're talking about whether they want to actually sign the alliance. Because at this point, this is still the beginning of the talks. They've just come together, and they haven't actually come to an understanding. And they're arguing about, I don't know if I recall. Uh, they're, they're actually arguing just about the alliance. Jubail doesn't believe in the alliance, and he's trying to stoke up um, you know, people to on his side. And uh, when they do, he's like, get rid of the alliance, and there's some people cheering. And then uh, that's when JT comes in. And so then he has his talk with Jubail, and he says, hey, unarrest Torres, right? Like, drop your charges. Yes. And he says, what, why would I do that? Uh, Marsh, evidently there's some sort of life debt thing going on here. He says, in that case, your debt isn't repaid. And everyone's taken aback by this. Yeah, that's that oh moment. Can't believe you just did that. And he agrees. And then, uh, but she's still, in the, she's still on the shit list. So she's sent to uh, work in some sort of reactor core or something of that sort. This is the graph shield. Yeah. This is uh, whatever it is that's preventing the, f- the enemy fleet from attacking. With the angry scientist. With, and and a ridiculously, I, I want to emphasize this, ridiculously loud electronic buzzing noise in the background of this entire scene. You thought you might need an assistant. What I need is the proper equipment. What do you make of that? Well, I'd say an N-wave parametric regulator with fused cryosynaptic relays. Well, it's worse because this is where the spy finds out, right, that the the shield doesn't work. How the f- I can barely hear all of these people talk to each other, and that guy who's up on a balcony, God knows how far away, can hear everything that they're saying over this electronic buzzing noise. Get the hell out of here. He's got good ears. What can you say? So that's how he finds out the graph shield is broken. It's easy to be a spy. It's easy to be a traitor when you don't have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, when it just falls right into your lap. And then we cut to, this is probably my favorite part of the episode, is the bargaining and dickering about the alliance. Oh yeah, the the, the casual genocide. So we open up, and uh, the pirates want the planet Mars. In this, uh, in we have, I don't know if we've talked about, but there are uh, Venus, Earth, and Mars are all inhabited planets. All are under occupation of the enemy currently, so the pirates come out and they say, we want Mars, 
you get the other two. Simbaka says, I want to exterminate all the Neo Sapiens on there. And uh, they're not cool with it, but they're not really that mad about it either. We want Mars. It's the least you can give us in return for the support you need from us now. What about the Neo Sapiens who live there? Exterminate them. Isn't that what one usually does to a defeated enemy? And one of the uh, other guys says, gives a couple reasons why it would be hard to do, and then finishes up with, and besides, most of them would be gone anyway, so you probably won't even have to worry about that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. (laughs) After the war, there'll be plenty of room for both of you. I fought the Neos face to face. Whatever else you may think of them, they've got guts. Besides, there won't be many of them left. All right, agreed. We get Mars in exchange for the Outer Worlds. And uh, it's and it's like a pretty a pretty cynical view, and uh, and the the pirates like that sounds good to me. I'm ex- I'm okay with that. And they talk about trading like planets essentially, but ex- all except for one, a planet they decided for some reason to call Chaos, made completely of dark matter. It's their secret magic planet that gives them their cloaking technology. Jubeo gets mad about that that information being shared, right? Yes, yeah. he he views it as a betrayal that that information has been shared at all. And so I believe he storms out. He does storm out. When he storms out, they actually animated like a ponytail bounce. I just love the accent choice sometimes on these. Yeah, Sabaka's doing something, but it's inconsistent and I'm okay with it. Um, and then they agree. They're happy. They're like, yes, I accept your terms. And they... Hooray, it's an alliance. And I think then we cut over to Jubea finding Baka, relaying some information. He stumbles upon the traitor doing doing his treason. Our snake Baka. And so he shoots the communicator out of his hands and then confronts him. And he says, I was just coming here because I think Simbaka was, was selling us out. And then I see you being a real traitor. And he threatens to take him in. Baka pulls out his wrist gun and shoots Jubail. That's when everyone runs in. And Barker says, I caught the traitor. It's Jubail. This man was the traitor. He does his reverse card on Jubail. And they drag him away. And then we see uh, Typhonus saying, okay, great. The shield's down. Let's go get him. Like, they, they don't have the thing protecting him. I just like that they named the shield the Graph Shield. I think it stands for something, but... Uh, probably. I don't know what. I don't know what. I don't have that either. Then we go to commercial again. And they're going to get him. That's it. Because they know there's a traitor, they start monitoring the enemy fleet, and as soon as it starts moving, they realize they got to get out of there, and they set a course for the the planet Chaos. They do. All right, they're going to try and get out of there, and it starts going real bad. It does. They're trying to escape Io and head over to Chaos. Uh, It's a nice little animation. So they send out the the Exo Squad in their E-frames, and we get some pirates also getting in their E-frames and joining the fight. And so we get to see, as they fight, there's some some team-building moments. This is a pirate we haven't seen before, but he saves Torres. She's got two of them behind her. The pirate shows up, and he's like, don't worry about it. I've got you, basically. And then they have this really awkward exchange. She's like, thanks, pirate. And then it's literally got to be like a second and a half where she smirks music and space sounds. And then he's like, the name is Hollis, and you're welcome. Literally as dramatic as I said it. So things are going bad, and so Admiral Winfield is, says, let's transfer the E-frames to the pirate ships, and you can cloak and get out of here, and we'll hold them off as long as we can. And maybe some people will get away. And Sabaka says, that's very, he says, it's very honorable that you would sacrifice yourself. 
Uh, but there's no need, because I have a cloaked fleet right here. And they uncloak and start blasting away. Yeah, literally an entirety of a fleet. Like, And uh, what happens after that? Uh, the Admiral's like, it's very sly of you, Simbaka. Yeah, what a devious man. And I think they say something like to each other where they're like, they have a very bromance moment where they're just staring into each other's eyes. Uh, like, uh, you know, I like that deviant. Because Simbaka had uh, only brought a third of his fleet openly, but had the other two thirds in cloaked reserve because he's always playing the both angles. Which makes sense. He's a pirate. He's a wily man. You were probably right earlier that, you know, your GPA wasn't high enough to be a pirate under Simbaka. No. And then the next thing, we switch to the Phaeton's Martian Palace. Typhonus is talking about how next time he'll get him for sure. I just love his statement to Typhus, though. He's like, for you, fool, there will be no next time. And then he just remote controls him to death. It does. Like, Typhus just takes it. He's like, I'm your best general. And he watches this thing come down, slowly come down from the ceiling and evaporate him. Just press the kill button. And he says, darn it. But it turns out there's a bunch of clones anyway, so he's not needed. Plenty of clones. That's one way to do HR. Yeah. Ugh. I hope Amazon doesn't watch this. <laughs> and then the last scene is uh, we arrive at the planet Chaos and they say, I don't see anything. And then he decloaks a whole planet. With sparklies. Yep, it's a sparkly decloaked planet. And then we get the awesome end uh, credit scene again with the fantastic animation. And no next time on... Exo Squad at the end. Oh. Just straight to commercial, or straight to credits. Which I guess isn't that bad here on ep Season 2, Episode 5, because they were still renewed at that point. Um, I don't think they were being thrown into terrible time slots yet. It was not until a little bit later. I think once they did that additional renewal into this season is when it started to get a little wonky. Well, that's what's interesting about the structure of these two episodes that we watched is first that there is a next time on Exo Squad in the first episode, which could be for advertising purposes. I'd be interested to watch more of them to see if they continue doing something like that. Sure. It's also a two-parter or a three-parter. I forget what it is. Um... Yeah. But it's interesting that this one starts with no recap of what has come before or how things are going currently. And this is more of a bigger, interesting point i think with these kind of shows that we're trying to do a more coherent story across the season because this time we have uh what deep space nine is trying to do it uh babylon five i guess is another one and they all kind of handled this stuff in different ways but the tv business wasn't yet ready for them to do these kind of things well, especially not in a cartoon i mean that audience is different specifically syndication god knows when you'd see what order you would see episodes in right right they basically play randomly. And so I think this is where Deep Space Nine suffered at the time. And then in streaming, people are rediscovering it and enjoying it more. Is that I remember as a kid watching it and being absolutely confused as to what was happening at any given time. Because they would never, ever recap. It's such a good story, too. That I mean, there's still that terrible campiness in Deep Space Nine. But be, going back and watching it after the fact, as you said, you know, on streaming was just a completely different experience. And it just made it so much more enjoyable. But it was, it was always interesting that unless it was a direct two-parter, they would never say previously, and they'd never tell you kind of like what was going on at the time. And the way Babylon 5 handled it that I thought is, was a pretty good idea is that their title sequence kind of described the season. There's a different title sequence for each season, and it describes what's happening 
throughout the season. So even if you don't really know what's going on, if you catch the title sequence, it'll give you enough background to understand kind of the greater stakes of things. I don't remember that, but I haven't done a Babylon 5 rewatch in a while. Thankfully, that'll, you know, get added to our list. But it was really tough to to get into some of these things. And this is, this is another where, as a kid, if you catch four or five different episodes, you might have no idea what's happening. Yeah, I and, and it is harder, um, especially uh, that whole first season feels like it is just a big build um, to the end, uh, looking through and reading some of the stuff. Also, you can kind of feel the effort change between the two seasons. Uh, even if I go looking for toys and VHSs when I look through everything, you know, I can't find... I couldn't find VHSs for season two at all. It's that initial blitz might have been stronger than what they ended up continuing to support it it's with. It's possible. And it seems like those VHSs are like 20 minutes long because they just have the one episode because they only have the like the front and the back just say the one episode name. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's a pallet somewhere and we'll be rich one day. Yeah, maybe. Like all those, you know, lovely uh, Disney VHSs that at this point only probably have a few years left before they don't work anymore. Ugh. I never liked those clamshells. <laughs> we they broke so we easily. We had a huge box under uh, a bed in the in the back guest bedroom that um, nobody even remembered was there until we started cleaning up after my mom passed away. And we pulled them out. We were like, "Oh, I wonder if these are worth anything." You look on the thing, and people are like, "Yeah, it's worth a hundred dollars, nine hundred dollars." And you're like, "Okay, so these are going in the garbage." No one's buying them. It's wild what people, you know. Uh, think things are worth these days but you know we could probably do a whole episode on that all you have to do is get one buyer i mean that's true right just one person yep back to the syndication problems and things being seen out of order we can compare this directly to the gundam series gundam wing i remember has every 10 episodes there was a stock intro that would tell you everything you needed to know about the background and kind of like what the plot was and every 10 episodes it would kind of refresh and include what had happened in the series that to that point. Because these animes were telling a coherent story more than American cartoons were, they knew how to tell you what you needed to know and work that into the structure of the show. Because even the original Mobile Suit Gundam, that same stock where the first minute of the show after the credits and the theme song is a stock thing that only updates occasionally and includes like shots of what you need to see. And it's not going to tell you everything, but it'll be enough that you can kind of understand the stakes and what, what has happened before. Hmm. I don't remember that either, but right. Mobile suit Gundam wing. That's uh middle nineties. So we can watch that too. Yeah. 95. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. But it, that might be one of the reasons that the show had some trouble or didn't hit because even if it was hitting well, the ability to see a show in sequence in this time period was almost impossible. I mean, that's true. Yeah. And uh, I, going back and watching this show too, it's, it's a lot more adult this is 100% geared, should have been geared to an older audience than when the original time slots probably were. Yeah, this isn't as, uh, this isn't He-Man. Definitely not. Well, if we were to do a rating for this, what do we say? Uh, well, you know what? It, before we do a rating, why don't we do a, a, a Wolf Bronski rating? Uh, it was Exo Squad that we watched nastier than Wolf Bronski. I say yes, because Wolf Bronski's in it. I would agree. I think we're going to rate things against this Wolf Bronski nastiness for uh, for some time to come. And it was truly nasty watching him and hearing him suck in and out his gut Yeah, they, in that first episode. Definitely a great animation. What a wonderful man. 
And then uh, I uh, I've decided that I want to rate it out of fifteen, and I'm going to give it a twelve out of fifteen. Uh, twelve out of fifteen. Uh, if we're doing out of fifteen, I, I don't think I got it. I uh, I'll stick it at a ten, a ten out of fifteen. That gives you a lot of room to maneuver. Yeah, I I, th- I, I think I think a ten is appropriate. It kind of gives me middle of the road, and maybe I'm being optimistic for the future. And I can we can run some metrics on this later in life. We'll create an Excel sheet for this, maybe. What if I find five things I like more than this? How do I score them? I don't know. Yeah, we'll find out. We're just gonna have to live this life that we've created for ourselves, and there's nothing else to it. All right, so we got Wolf Bronski, our 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 nastiness rating, which I I think is great. We have our out of fifteen, and how about we do a? Um, uh, would you watch the rest of this? Yeah, I'm absolutely gonna watch the rest. Of it. Uh, now that we've talked about it, and because uh, I mean, this was kind of a delay in starting. Um, and I've yeah, watched, thanks COVID. Yeah, thanks COVID. We didn't get the I got COVID. <laughs> we didn't get to start as soon as we would like to. I definitely want to sit and watch a bunch of these. At least season one. I got to get through the whole season and kind of see how this build goes. Maybe one day we can do a follow up. Yeah, and the uh, Peacock has apps on stuff, so uh, I'm able to watch it on my Roku. So it's a good bedtime. Thanks, Peacock. Bedtime watch. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, NBC. You've really done it this time. I know. For once, you. I feel like you did something right. Well. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, we do this again. Uh, we should do a thing where we tell you what we're going to do next, but, you know, we actually don't know what that is yet. So maybe maybe one day in the future we'll give you a, uh, some foresight. Uh, but This one's been in the oven a while, and we're hoping to streamline the process and not get COVID between each episode. Yeah, that'll be fair uh, and hopeful because uh, you never know with all them kids running around these days. You never know. All right, well... Uh, we'll probably come up with something to say at the end too uh, but we don't have that so I'll just say cowabunga and have a good night